everyone to episode 94 of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. So some of you might remember that last time I hosted, which was four weeks ago now, I read out some reviews and uh, we offered everyone to send in additional five-star reviews, of course, and um, it's only appropriate that we read some of the newer ones out. So we've got three new ones here. The first one says, or well, the title is Awesome Foursome. And it says, great banter and informative topics. Need a laugh whilst I'm in prep. I don't like RDLs either. Does the zinger work with the bikini competitors? So can you confirm that or deny that, DUI? Yes, but the title of that, I think you read it out incorrectly. It was Awesome Foursome and Nice Podcast. So a little bit of a different one there. Uh, yes, and bikini girls do respond really, really well to zingers. That's good to know. Yeah. I think one thing about that, though, is no laughing in prep. I mean, you're not serious about it. I didn't laugh for 36 weeks because I was I was so dialed in. So yeah, if you're coming to us for a laugh during prep, then maybe pull, your boots, enough. Yeah. pull yourself up in the bootstraps and, and get serious about it. Exactly right. I mean, they do say it, you you burn more calories smiling than frowning though, right? So, hey. Yeah, they're Actually, not frowning hard enough then, I guess. Mm. That's that's <laughs> it, Jack. He's, his mindset's coming about this guy. He's, he's really coming into his own. Yeah, you've had such good influence on me, Lawrence. Mm. Jack's been doing some research <laughs> for when he preps. <laughs> he preps, yeah. So this uh, next one, title is Great Podcast, a bit more tame here. Love it, fun, lighthearted, with great info on a wide range of topics. Always look forward to Wednesday for the next episode. Been listening in from day one. Thanks so much for that. Final one, it says, BDU Legends, the banter is more anabolic than a zinger with no mayo, authentic and entertaining. A lot of references. I, I must say the Zinger references are really picking up, which I love to see. Um, I'll be messaging the Colonel himself this week and uh, asking for a discount code. Yeah, that's only fair. Mm. Next week's sponsorship up the top. Yeah. KFC app will have an actual section in there called the BDU section. And I'll handcraft. I'll have the macros up there. I'll have certain recipes each week to ensure that macro targets are met. How good. Special BDU menu at KFC. So we've got a fair few questions today. We've got one, two, three. We've got eight questions, so we'll make our way through them. And uh, this first one says, might be a little difficult for you to answer, Lawrence, but advice on making bodybuilding friends. How would you go about that? Wow. Loser? Oh, uh, I think DY was supposed to mute himself there. Uh, it's a bit of a Freudian slip. Oh, I think it's a good question because it's a very, it's somewhat of an isolating sport, isn't it? But I think that, all of us can attest to the fact that once you get into it, you can actually find some of your your best friends because they're they're the people that relate to what you do. They have similar passions. They have similar goals. So I would say that getting down to like the shows is a big one because often you're going to meet people that maybe you've only known online and that sort of thing. So I think you can certainly make some good friends at the shows. And then the other one would probably just be at a gym that has like a lot of your your pals at it as well. Like I'm quite fortunate at Powerhouse. There's a really good bunch of people. And, you know, some of my favorite days of the week are when we all get to get down there and train and just sort of have a bit of a chin wag and whatnot. So yeah, I think it is, it is good to not only use bodybuilding as a way to, you know, progress yourself physically and mentally. Um, but I think it is also a really good opportunity to get involved in quite a, a cool community. So yeah, definitely get around it. I also think within within like your your teammates as well. So, um, for example, within BK Conditioning, we, we have a really strong community, and a lot of our athletes are 
you know, quite great friends with one another and essentially have become life friends as a product of their bodybuilding. So I think it might even be a matter of reaching out to your coach and going, is there anyone that, you know, is part of the team that that is maybe close by or you might be able to become friends with and, and foster friendships like that as well, I think is a great idea. Mm. Yeah, I think chances are if you're looking for a bodybuilding friend, then someone else probably is too, whether that's a male or female. And I, yeah, the the first step is reaching out. So you've got to reach out to someone, whether it's on social media or or in person. Um, and sometimes that's the most awkward stage. But once you break the ice, like it's like it, automatically you have a lot in common since they do bodybuilding. So chances are you can chat about nutrition and training and all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, we'll move Even on. The pose- even the posing classes are some good spots to meet up with like-minded individuals. Um, like, you know, you've got at least probably like 30, 40 guys and girls um, in each division, pretty much rocking up to every single one of the major posing classes are all going to be in somewhat similar divisions to you as well. So great way to cross paths with some other like-minded individuals. Mm, I think it's also a great, great way to approach a lot of these situations such as posing workshops with the intention of, of making friends as opposed to, like viewing who your competitors are or like your potential enemies are backstage kind of thing. Like, I think you're going to have so much of a, like so much of a better day uh, when you've got that sense of camaraderie, you know, with others. Uh, There's nothing, there's nothing better than being backstage and seeing everyone lined up and everyone's like fist swamping each other before they're about to jump on stage. So I think it just makes the the day better. And it's, it's just overall better if everyone's, you know, friends, of course, there's going to be that sense of rivalry, but um it's like friendly rivalry. Yeah, that sounds like a loser's mindset, DC. I just like to befriend everyone before I kick their ass. Ah, let them cook. Ah, yeah. And I go, yeah, mate, I'll help you with the glaze. Shit, that's actually olive oil. Oh, fuck, I've just ruined your tan, Bob. Uh, anyway, virgin, mate. In- yeah, but anyway, enjoy it up there, man. I'll uh, catch you in the overall. We'll move on to the next question. And this one says, how to explain to my parents that even though bodybuilding is unhealthy, it's a short-term goal. Any thoughts on that, DC? Well, I guess, I mean, bodybuilding in the off-season, I think, is very healthy. I mean, we're, we're being very physically active. We are focusing on our training, our nutrition, um, you know, positive positive habit, habits that can really complement our life in, in many ways. Uh, I think it's more so, and I'm sure this more so pertains to uh, the endeavor of, of contest prep. You know, I think... I guess communicating that that anything in terms of an athletic endeavor is going to have associated risks, um, but it's about doing it in in the best possible manner to to mitigate uh, those risks essentially. And I think if you're able to communicate that to to those around you uh, and perhaps help to almost like create buy-in through that experience, such as you know communicate to them the foods that you're eating, the the training regime that you have, and and I guess there's still a lot of positives out of prep that that can be essentially healthy. It's just that the uh, the actual contest prep itself, in in the sense of getting exceptionally lean, is the quote unquote you know unhealthy component to it. Um, so I mean, I guess the like I, I I think back to when I've communicated it to my parents, and of course I did have uh, those phases where my dad would be like, "Is that is that healthy for you? Like, should you really be?" I remember I'd, I'd video call my dad and he'd be like, you're looking quite gaunt through the face. Like, are you okay? And I would just be like, yeah, I'm great. Like I'm, 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 I'm actually feeling okay. I mean, yes, I'm a little bit depleted, but um, this is something that I've chosen to do. And it's, it is completely temporary. I'm going to exit the diet condition and be back into, you know, a healthy DC again. So I, I think it's, it's just creating that buy-in with those family members 
taking them through the journey, you know, with, with, with like taking them through the journey essentially and, and communicating them the associated benefits of you pursuing your prep in terms of, you know, appeasing the goals that you have. Yeah. I think sometimes it's like good to tell some, if someone's concerned about it, then it's good to say that it is unhealthy and that there are unhealthy elements. I think occasionally you might find people they're too defensive about bodybuilding and they say, Oh, it's not unhealthy and it's fine. Like everything's going to be okay, which often just kind of isn't the, isn't the truth. Like whether it's natural or enhanced bodybuilding, like natural bodybuilding, if you're competing in, especially the more leaner divisions, like you are going to achieve a unnatural level of, of body fat, which isn't particularly hormonally favorable or favorable for our, or potentially favorable for our relationship with food. So I think how I would explain it is be like, yes, you're correct. Like these elements of bodybuilding aren't particularly healthy, but I'm working with someone who is, is qualified. They know their stuff and we're sort of trying to make this as healthy as possible, given the circumstances. I think you boys pretty much covered it up, but I think even with starting the preparation, if you've done the prior work, like even before starting the prep, like for example, like Lawrence, like, you know, did a mini cut prior, ended up cruising into the season quite comfortably, like on a large amount of food, you can do a lot of the damage mitigation that would actually come with a contest prep. Like, you know, he's done multiple dieting phases prior. So then that way he can mitigate maybe some of these things that might come post-show. But not only that, I can guarantee by having such a successful prep, he probably felt miles better than what he did last time. So even though there are aspects of being unhealthy, there's a lot of aspects of being unhealthy about anything. Like, you know, you could probably argue that if, your dad might be talking to you and you know he might have more underlying health defects than what you might actually have at the back end of a preparation phase like you know um realistically you know if you do the prep as optimal as possible you have a great starting position you tick all the boxes you have good micronutrient intake you're watching what you eat diet wise you can mitigate a very very large amount of these so-called unhealthy things that would come with the prep apart from the very low levels of body fat, which then obviously comes with like the hormonal issues as well. But with that being said, it's very temporary at the same time. So even though it is, I guess, somewhat unhealthy, um, I think if done correctly, you can definitely mitigate a very large chunk of these things. And then if you were to probably compare that with a normal individual, maybe, you know, 50% of the population, chances are you're actually probably sitting, um, probably maybe even a little bit better than where they might, mm. apart from body fat conditioning. Yeah. I would, and there's the argument that being in a prolonged energy deficit is favorable for, like it basically is a mimic of fasting. So, and we know that there are some underlying benefits associated with that, like decreased inflammation. But I think one way in which people often justify that bodybuilding is okay is that they they will almost use what you said, DY, as an argument and be like, oh, but you're way more unhealthy than me. Like you drink alcohol and you you're maybe overweight or like that sort of stuff, which isn't really a good way of convincing other people. But I, I do know what you mean. I just, I don't want people to be like, oh, let's turn the table on you and, and throw it in your face. Mm. Yeah, no, no, 100%. But now you'd be able to correct me on this, but what is the actual stat of the amount of people within Australia that actually eat the required fruit and veg daily mm. compared to someone yeah. that's in contest prep? That my guess is if you're DC, for example, on the last leg of contest prep with calories are low, you're making sure you damn well get your fruit and veg intake in there because you're fucking pretty damn hungry. So Yeah. Two kilos of strawberries a day. Yeah. <laughs> Shitting through the eye of a needle, but that's half the fun. And that's show day, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straws on show day, baby. I've seen it. I've seen it done. 
Yeah, it's. I think it's like less than less than or hundred percent less than ten percent, but I think it may even be closer to five percent for like fruit and vegetables combined that people eat. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna skip the next one because I want this one for you, Lawrence. Like sugar-free drinks slash energy drinks in prep. What's your take on that? Like how how many did you consume in your prep? I'm assuming most of them. <laughs> essential. <laughs> it's an absolute necessity. An essential no, I. Thing. Yeah, I um I think that they are a good tool, um but they should be used sparingly. You know, they should be periodized, should we say? So, for the let's say ninety five percent of the prep, like I probably got a little bit less strict on this towards the very end. I was only I was limiting myself to one can of Pepsi Max on a rest day, which I would have with my dinner, and then the only other time I would have like a sugar free beverage would be if I was say you know, out at a social occasion with friends and that sort of thing. And for like a caffeinated beverage, so like a, a sugar-free energy drink, I would only have one per week as well. So I was utilizing them, but I do think it's important to limit them so they don't become another thing that you start looking forward to more than you need to. Because even by the end, you know, like I'm I'm stoked. I'm like, yep, it's a Wednesday. I get to have my sugar-free raise or like bang energy or whatever. I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And I'm like, ah, like I know that that is me becoming more dieted. But I think that there's a difference between having that sort of little kickback from one of those beverages once a week as opposed to every single morning you're having a sugar-free monster and then two hours later you're having your pre to go train and oh yes, I've also had a coffee as well. Like, you know, all these things start to add up. And I've seen people get way carried away, you know, where and, and look, I've done it in the past where like one Pepsi Max with dinner turns into two, and then it turns into three. And then I'm trying to do my posing. And it's afterwards. Two Pepsi every day. <laughs> yeah. And then it's Literally like though. far out. I can't <laughs> even like pull a vacuum or like tense my abdominals because I've just got like so much air in me. And I think that is one of the biggest takeaways from my last prep where, you know, limiting these diet foods, which often are just versions of stuff with a lot more air or a lot more water, limiting like the carbonated soft drinks and things like that. Like I never had any dramas with bloating, never had any dramas with like my midsection control. Like the way that I sort of, and you know, this will be one of those, if you know, you know, like I could comfortably do my posing and pull my vacuums even after I had dinner which just shows that I wasn't trying to like over-volumalize things where I would end up with abdominal distension. So I think, yes, it's perfectly fine to have them in a prep, but utilize them wisely. Try not to get too carried away. I think one thing with it is, are they causing any issues? Like, you know, if you're having 700 milligrams of caffeine and you're sleeping three hours a night, chances are the caffeine intake is probably going to be a little bit of an issue that might be coming through pepsi max like what lawrence said like the monsters the pre-workout and stuff like that so find an amount i guess that's going to suit you now if it doesn't cause any issues realistically you probably won't have any issues with it at all for me personally i would have a pepsi max with my lunch and my dinner and i'd have pre-workout in the morning pretty much and on my rest days i'll take out the pre-workout and i'll have a black coffee so it was pretty much standardized across the day i wasn't sitting there and i was like all right i'm gonna have four pepsi maxes before i go to bed because i really want to crave this like you know pretty much like hit this craving that i might have for like a, a sugar beverage or drink or whatever it might be um standardized it across the day i had no issues with sleep i had no issues with like trying to get more out of my drinks so i wasn't 
like um, increased hunger or anything from having the sugar-free beverages as well. So they realistically caused me no issues at all. I didn't have any issues with bloating. But like I said, maybe if you're getting these issues with bloating, you can't sleep, then maybe it could be a course to maybe pull back on some of these and maybe look at the total amount of caffeine that you're having across the day. I also think not all sugar-free drinks are created equal in terms of their calorie values as well. I guess, you know, when we initially look at a, at a, at a say a container of, um, or a can of like Monstar or something like that, like we look at the, the, the amount of carbohydrates in it, it might be minimal, but it still might contain 60 calories or, or something like that. And often these calories do come from polyols, which are, um, sugar alcohols and um, may contain anywhere between two to three, you know, calories per per gram. So, and I think that's often where these companies can try to hide the caloric values of these these products. Whereas, you know, we look at them and you'd see it; it will have zero protein, zero fat, zero carbs. It must be a free food, but the calories still are labeled as sixty calories. So, you know, I think then becoming excessive with these sorts of things could potentially be the difference between striking your nutritional goals you know versus not uh and so that would be you know extra considerations to to make and i guess if you're consuming something and it contains calories it's it, it needs to be counted towards your intake ultimately in order to be you know precise particularly if you then start becoming excessive with these sorts of things yeah i remember last prep for me was uh the go to the schweppes grapefruit carbonated water which one of those drinks which tastes crap, like uh, lukewarm, like room temperature, kind of like Pepsi. But as soon as it's cold, it's ten out of ten. Mm. But I chose that because it it um like natural, I mean naturally flavored, but it also didn't have any caffeine and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean you have to get naturally flavored if you're competing with ICN. Like everyone knows That's that. True. Yes. But I even think there's small differences with um with calories in, for example, like Coke no sugar versus let's say zero sugar sunkist or solo or things like this like i'm I'm pretty sure like a 600 mil bottle of sunkist might have or sugar-free sunkist might have like one to two carb whereas uh coconut sugar i still think has less than one 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 uh one carb so you know i guess if someone's standardizing having coconut sugar and then all of a sudden they think, you know what, I want to change things, things up. And I'm drinking two liters of, you know, solo sugar-free uh, that is going to essentially increase like the, the calories that you are consuming. And, you know, one, two, three grams of carbs may not seem like a lot, but if you apply that over the course of a six month period, it adds up, right. It could be the difference between being 90, 98% ready on stage or truly looking hundred percent on stage. Yeah. And I think, if you are that person who is drinking like, let's say like half a liter to a liter of these diet soft drinks a day, which a lot of competitors would be, I would honestly recommend going for something that is more like a, a mineral water that's flavored because the amount of crap in, like, I'm not that sort of person who's like, oh, don't drink this because it's bad for you other than alcohol, maybe, it, I mean, which is fine in moderation, but the... the the stuff that's in these in these soft drinks is um, if you're having that much every single day, like make a make a smarter choice and and have something that's like actually a little bit more pleasant uh, for your body. Mm. I think we can all agree though, for the longest time, Coca Cola, you know, it's the world's drink, and Pepsi was on the ropes, and it just came through with the no sugar option and just absolutely took Coca Cola's lunch money because Coke no sugar is essentially garbage compared to Pepsi Max, I would argue. 
Yeah, I'd I'd agree with you there. Pepsi, like, like if I'm like ordering a, a no sugar beverage at a restaurant, most of the time it's like, oh yeah, we got Coke no sugar, and it's like, I'll have it if it's the only thing available. But recently on the weekend, they're like, yeah, we got Pepsi Max. Is that okay? And I was like, Whoo, yes, yes, it is. Unreal. Can you guys actually tell the difference between sugar and no sugar versions? I can't say I've tasted the full sugar Pepsi yeah, in a very I long time. I can't remember the last time I had a full sugar. Full sugar. Yeah, yeah, so you remember like, like, especially in, when you're dieting and you get given like, instead of the can, you get given the glass and you're like, oh, is this, is this actually sugar free or like, did they make a mistake? And that's why I usually yeah. try and ask for it in a can because. Oh, at least you don't crack out your insulin strips. I put the insulin <laughs> strips in there. I don't want to risk it, man. That's how serious I am about it. Well, normally what I'll do in that situation is I'll get I'll get the I'll send pictures to DY after I've consumed it. If I've if I'm starting to fill out, I know that they've given me the sugary version. But Mm. then if DY says I'm looking sharp enough, just proceed as planned. Mm. So And there you go, should I put this on the check in sheet? I say, Don't worry about putting it on there. Just tell Joe that you've stuck to the plan. DY's like what check in sheet? Yeah. Look good, mate. Keep it the same. So DC, this one's for you. How do you implement refeeds with your clients? Yep. Yeah. So I think there's many, there's there's many different ways to implement them. I mean, I guess refeed really the, the benefits of implementing a refeed is to have a temporary temporary top-up to, to muscle glycogen. This is in the context of perhaps um, you know, more more a contest prep competitor or someone obviously um, you know, dieting, dieting down. I think that's that's the main focus here. I think a refeed strategy for someone who is perhaps, let's say, dieting in an off-season capacity, uh, where it may be only a six-week diet, it might just be a, a strategy to use if perhaps it's planned around like a social outing or something like that to essentially not feel as though you're you're off track in that regard. But I think in the context of contest prep, it's it's a temporary top-up to muscle glycogen, a little bit more food to assist with. Uh, managing the the hunger side of things, which may have you know provided benefit in terms of uh, reducing stress and and better sort of psychological management of the diet condition. Um, usually, I try and coincide with a refeed day uh, alongside one of the harder harder training sessions within the week, just from a nutrient partitioning standpoint. Um, I am. I, I apply different refeed strategies for different individuals based on if I'm, let's say, doubling up on a refeed strategy, I may very well clump them together for an individual or depending on uh, if they're running a little bit flatter, I might sort of transition one to midweek as well. So uh, there's been times where the, the actual sequencing of the refeeds can change a little bit depending on the individual. But generally in the, with refeed strategy, you bring your calories up to close to predicted maintenance run that for, for a day or so or your intended duration. And and then you basically recommence the diet condition, you know, thereafter. So it's basically just that temporary kind of top up to um to mitigate some diet fatigue. It can also be used to slow down one's rate of loss. So if someone's a little bit ahead of time in relation to their contest prep, uh, the frequency of refeeds could be implemented to try and just slow down that essential rate, you know, rate of loss. Do you ever put refeeds in a mini cut yourself? Um, I do. I have. Yeah, I definitely have. Um, not to say I've done it every week, but there have been times where I have implemented one, uh, you know, one within a, within a diet phase. Uh, and it's all dependent, I guess, on, on the person's rate of loss and how they're managing the diet condition as well. I mean, we, we could argue that a mini cut should be short enough that you don't need to implement something like a refeed strategy. 
but I, I guess looking at it from a person in front of you, you know, how that person is going to manage the, the six to eight week mini cut might be completely different based on, you know, other stresses within their life as well. So I guess, I guess this is where the coaching eye comes in to go, is there, is there worth or is there merit to running this instead of just simply thinking I shouldn't have to run a refeed, you know, you're only dieting for six weeks or you're only dieting for eight weeks. I really just think it's dependent on the person in front of you. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And like some people will genuinely respond incredibly well to them. Some people will not like they'll have a lot more food focus, like psychologically and physiologically, like they'll have a lot more food focus afterwards. And um, some people are better off just having a more linear approach. Um, so again, it comes down to the individualization of, uh, of the individual. Yeah. I don't think we have any data to really suggest that um, like refeed strategies have any influence on preserving metabolic rate, which funnily enough was, was, the sort of uh, misconception at the, at the beginning of implementing these where mm. we, we, th we thought we could essentially, you know, mitigate the, the adaptive thermogenesis or the slowdown in one's metabolic rate as a product of including higher days. But I mean, our physiology is just way too smart. Like it's, if I increase my food by a little bit on one day, I'm not going to offset the metabolic adaptation that I've put forth for an extended dieting phase. If I've dieted for six months and my calories are brought back up again, um, I mean, I'm still you know, ex extremely low levels of body fat. Um, and, and, and essentially, even if EA comes up, it's not really going to, you know, massively offset that adaptive thermogenesis there. So I think that's the, the, the benefits of refeed is really just more surrounding training performance and, and from a psychological perspective, dealing with the diet condition, you know, more easily. Yeah, and I think that's also demonstrated by, if someone, let's say someone competes across like twice in, in five years and that both preps like are executed well and in the same fashion, like chances are like they'll be on the same calories or, or very close to in that, in that second prep as to the first one. So it's not like we can, um, I think often people will be on more calories in certain preps. And I think that's more so a reflection of like your starting point or uh, the way in which you're executing the prep or maybe even your tracking accuracy, but not necessarily like changes in metabolic adaptation or things like that. Obviously expenditure is a big one to consider as well. Like, are you, are you just genuinely expending more energy? So this next question, is it actually possible to reach the natural limit of muscle growth? DY? Uh, like it's a hard one because I feel like there is a limit but how hard is it to actually achieve this limit that you're looking for? I feel like it's kind of like a U-curve that you get to a point where you can just keep making progression and then you probably get to an age where realistically you can't make progressions past that point because I guess like the age somewhat offsets the improvements that you might make or the actual visual look that you might have. You might be able to make small improvements, but maybe the look visually might not be able to go past a certain point because obviously like, you know, age kicks in, you know, start getting a bit older, maybe you should get some wrinkles, whatever it might be. Um, but with that being said, you know, Jeff Alberts has made some tremendous improvements all the way up to where he is. And like, you know, and he continues to make improvements every single season from then on. But there is probably going to get to a point or you maybe hit 70, 80, and you notice that the look somewhat drops off past a certain point. And like, you know, as someone as advanced as him with decent genetics, he still continually makes improvements from stage showing to stage showing. So I think that's a very good representation of, I think you can always keep continually making improvements to 
more or less like a certain point. And then I think the age kind of kicks in a little bit and then counter the look that you might have. And maybe you might not look as visually appealing. You might still be able to make some improvements though. I would almost, and this analogy might, uh, it might not fit a hundred percent, but maybe it'll give people a good idea, but I would also analog almost analogize it to strength. So like, let's say you want to get better at squatting in the beginning, chances are like, you're not going to have to be very specific with your squat training to just get better. You just do squatting, you put on more weight or reps each session and, and you'll get stronger. But eventually there will become a point where you then need to get more specific, maybe hire a coach who's, who's a power lifter. And then, okay, your, your progression continues. And then even despite that, like, uh, I guess genetics plays a, a big role there. Um, you'll, you'll eventually progress will be very small over time. And maybe even you'll, you'll hit a ceiling, um, at some point. And, and I guess you could analogize that to bodybuilding and muscle gain too, in some respects, like mm. you essentially the, the better you get, the more specific you need to be. And, and the, the point of the, or the risk of diminishing returns increases. And the improvements that you'd be able to make would be so minimal at like 35 years and you've nearly like you've absolutely rinsed out everything you use specialization blocks and over an entire two-year off season you might be able to put on 100 grams with a specialization block to that specific muscle group it's like so limited that you're going to get in regards to like those very latter stages of your actual competitive journey yeah and i think that's where like this is technically not related to the question because like it was more so around muscle growth but that's where for bodybuilders, though, even if they have hit their like very close to their ceiling, they can still improve and, and bring a better package through the way in which they prep. They can reduce the amount of muscle they lose in a prep. They can get leaner. They can improve their posing. So at least if you're a bodybuilder, there's always going to be ways in which you can improve. And, and I heard uh, Jeff saying that I think a, a big part of his success um, this past prep was around the, the posing aspect, I believe. And that's, that's why he was able to kind of perform so flawlessly at WMBF Worlds because he, he was just on point the whole time. Mm. And I think it's also important not to like worry too much about, oh, am I getting close to my natural limit? Because it's impossible to know. Like there's no way of being able to definitively say, this is it, you've capped out because, you know, you may have been that one outlier in that, you know, 52 set per week study that grew really well. And like, maybe you've just never tried that sort of training in your training career. So you don't know whether or not that would net you a hell of a lot more progress. So it would be genuinely impossible to tell whether or not, you know, someone had maxed out because we're never like a static, you know, stationary being like we're constantly changing and evolving and sort of there's so much that goes into building muscle in terms of like stress, nutrition, training stimulus, our overall health, so it would be impossible to say for sure when it has, you know, reached that ceiling. Mm -hmm. Is this why you've transitioned to 52 set for the back? Yeah. Yeah. And that's per workout. Right. It's the only way. <sighs> the only issue is though, he was that one outlier that actually lost muscle on the 52 set. So he's actually going backwards. Oh, yeah. Some, somehow my back is worse. I don't know how how it's happened, boys, but I, I'm I'm atrophying at an alarming rate. Just imagine being that one guy that just got smashed with fifty two sets of quads <laughs> to failure for an entire whole training block or whatever it was, just to then uh, go backwards. Because he got rhabdo, probably. Yeah. yeah, the ultrasound text like got some bad news, bud. 
You've lost three inches. So Get two inches off your quads. <laughs> that's an that's another interesting finding altogether. That that is. Uh, so this and one on says. The, um, I was actually going to say, Jack, on that bombshell. What better time than that to um to go straight into the, this week's advertisement? And I understand, Jack, that you've actually trialed the pre-workout that PowerSups so generously provided to each member of the bodybuilding down under family. Yes, I, I did. I got to try the altered state pre and I'm pretty, pretty sensitive to caffeine. So I think the, I mean, there's two options for the serving sizes, like 10 grams and 20 grams. So naturally I opted for seven grams because I don't think I could have handled a full scoop even or a single scoop even. And it was great. Yeah. I, I was expecting a bit more of a intense um, or sudden effect that I often get from caffeine, like the heart, heart palpitations, especially since I took it before our leg session. So I was expecting some uh, increased anxiety around like the hack squat, but uh, that that didn't happen, whether it was your company or whether it was the, the pre-workout, I'm not sure, but. Mm. I tend to, I tend to be a good offset to caffeine, you know, quite a calming presence, uh, mm. a boring, some people might even say, but yeah. It's I didn't notice funny. it had L-theanine, which, which no doubt would have helped because L-theanine is a, a relaxing agent and or has properties in that regard. And it also has some nootropics, which I've never sort of properly tried any nootropics before, but uh, but I, I would like to think that I got a nice sort of increased focus and and that sort of stuff. And I don't say these things lightly either. So like I genuinely had a good experience with that pre. Well, you're very yeah. minimalist in terms of supplement use. So I'm actually, that is as good as an advertisement as you're going to get really. Yeah, I actually gave it a whirl as well. It was actually really good. Funny enough, I actually went to the IFBB workshop and I actually ran into Jamie out the front handing out samples. Uh, it's safe to say that the pre-workout definitely works because he's got about 20 kilos of lean muscle mass on me as well. So I look forward to keeping this uh, altered state in for the next uh, next couple of training cycles. Mm. Yeah, I might start including a few more doses of that per day, actually, if it's got similar sort of anabolic effects. But Jack, if one was looking to purchase this sort of product or any other product from the sensational range down at power subs. I believe we have a code for them. What is it? Yes. I believe that code is just BDU. So quite easy to remember can head on over to their website or in store and just use mention BDU, nothing else. Just say BDU. Yeah. And um, don't go to the store, just go online. You know, that's what the code is there for, but do you know how much uh, the good people are saving their DC if they use said code? It's got to be 90%, right? All right, we're going to have to clear that with the legal team and we're probably going to lose the code after that because we can't uh, can't uphold those sorts of savings. It's close though, it's 15. Which... 15, yeah, 15%. That's that's pretty close. I was I was yeah. really close there. Yeah. 15, 90, like similar similar numbers there. And either which way, whichever one they are, you're pretty much making money by using that code. And that is the point that we always want to reiterate and you don't need to check the math because DY's already done it. You know, he's one of the smartest guys without a uni degree I've ever met. He has crunched these numbers. So it's it's clear. You are making money by using this code. So don't be silly. Just don't lose money. You know, just, just make more of it. It's We're in a capitalist society. The goal is to make money and to be wealthy and to drive a Eurus, not a Yaris, as DY knows. So get over there. Use that code, people. Yeah, I think we can guarantee you at, at, at the very least 15% off. So moving on to the next question, this one says, which may or may not have been asked by someone in prep, what is the best post-comp meal that uh, each of us has had? 
DC, what's been your favorite? Mm, well, I think back to the first proper meal that I had post-comp. And this is not just like a prep, prep-based meal, like reverting back to the to the meal plan, so to speak. Uh, I would have been sushi down on down on the Gold Coast, going out for dinner, Nicole and I. And that was pretty that was pretty kick ass. So how many that was roles definitely my go-to. How many rolls did you have? Um I was rather conservative because I remember we went out to uh to ice cream thereafter. Ooh. And uh I think I think we I think we sh- we shared quite a bit of it. So I honestly I can't even remember how much how much I had. But so it wasn't it those, wasn't excessive. It was only Thorburn like you know, numbers. 17 plates or something like that, you know? Yeah. You gotta yeah. go Jack Thorburn numbers, mate. You have to get at least 60 rolls in, I feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sushi. And those you would have been way under on NPS. Yeah. Actually, now that you mentioned that ice cream from, you know, four years ago, DC, we we have to start the cut. That's ridiculous. You've you've absolutely blown out. No. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> Bro, please. <laughs> you know what the biggest rip off ice cream though is that that place that puts liquid nitrogen or something and then they roll it for you and it costs like twenty dollars for a small- Yeah, that's dust. Yeah. I've never even heard of that. Really? Oh. Yeah. Not in the fancier suburbs than like Nunchi Beach. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> mm, my post comp meal, geez. Can I say that one? Like I went to Same Same with Camila post show, and that was that's one of my favorite restaurants in Brisbane. Is Same Same. So if you know your comp seasons and your show dates, and your coach is giving you the tick of approval, definitely uh, I'll book a place at Same Same. That's definitely one of my favorite restaurants. God, I can't even remember though. Like some of the post comp meals, I think because I run like one of the later divisions, my show doesn't finish till so late. I know we didn't even really have a post comp meal after my um when I won my card because did you, did you order on- that massive? sort of thing from cookie slab or something yeah 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 i got the uh was it like 200 kilo cookie slab it wasn't anything serious just had, <laughs> you just had a truck it was only 20 20 g's yeah, yeah. <laughs> i had to sell the Audi, but like it was worth it <laughs> um yeah i did have that but that being said that's not really a meal like yeah the, fair enough it's just a yummy snack as rich piano would say like this is the timey over to dinner so that like yeah that didn't count but yeah i kind of because i wasn't able to actually have that meal um like have a meal because we didn't finish up till like 10 o'clock that night like yeah mm. uh, but same same well mine would probably be wasn't yours like a homemade buckwheat um, it was homemade okay. roast, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Homemade roast. Yeah, that yeah. was part of it. That Sweet potatoes. Though. At that point, I was so full that like it was hard to get down. So now the the best thing would have been the breakfast, probably because like I actually had room in my stomach for that, which was the baked oats, which sounds boring, but like I put a bunch of other things in there. Like it was more chocolate than oats in that. Like in berries. That. <laughs> like it really hit my sweet tooth what did i have i think i had 150 grams of raspberries in there some sugar-free maple as well of course yeah that was good i also had cheesecake that day too which which also mm. hit the spot mm. but not as much as the oats yeah so here, here we have it the sweet oats takes the post-comp meal for jack all right Lawrence, smart, quickly clean. yeah yeah it's smart because you, you you get on some of the sugar-free maple Clears you out for then the cheesecake. It's <laughs> yeah. it's really uh, I'll smart. Use that, Jack, yeah, I'll actually. use that next time. That's a good idea. Because it, it would have flattened him out too. So he's really yeah. gone for the best option there. Hundred percent. What's yours, Lawrence? Uh, well, we did have Cheesecake Factory th- last year, didn't mm. we? See, mm. the Cheesecake Factory 
my main was okay there. Yeah. But I think my main at the at Yard House, like which was the night of the show, that was pretty pretty legit. So I would probably say because in 2020 the show just kind of got called off, and it was like, oh, okay. So I remember I just like dieted normally that week, and then I think I went out to dinner like for a mate's birthday, which I initially was just going to sit at because I thought I was going to be in prep, but I ended up being able to have some food there, and that was pretty good. But I would say. Yeah, I would say Yard House in terms of like the night of the show meal. I think that's probably one of the better ones because the food, the food. Yeah, but that's not a meal. That's good. a restaurant. We need specific oh. foods. Well, was it a burger? Wasn't it, Lawrence? Didn't we have? Yeah, I think I had a, I think I had a burger. Yeah, I had some like chicken tenders to start. And then we had, we all had, all busted. We all did, we- huh? <laughs> Don't tell me out, you little rat. <laughs> Mate, the brookie, the brookie had us. <laughs> I think was it you, me, and Joe all got one? Oh, I can't remember. I know I had the exact same as what you did though. Yeah. So. It was good. It was like hybrid cookie, hybrid hybrid brownie. And that mm. was a tremendous time. And actually, that was crazy that night, DY, because somehow you and I both ended up with a cocktail. We thought, no, no, not yeah. us. We didn't order these. And then yeah, just literally. Wait, got you're forced. talking about drinks? Yeah. Uh, mate, way too off topic here, man. They they had they just forced us, forced yeah, us yeah. to have them. It was it was ludicrous, actually. Good tale too. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to something a bit more training related, it says dumbbell or barbell for chest development. What's your go to DC or what do you pick out of those? Do I have to pick one or I mean, well, I mean that's is... how this podcast works. We can't we can't. Yeah, there's no yeah, there's no answer in the gray. It's right? black or white. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess I'll have to go with with dumbbell. I think mm. I feel like I've I've probably run the dumbbell uh, press for more of my training career. I would say, but I do love barbell pressing, and I know that not not a lot of individuals love barbell pressing. I think out of barbell or, or dumbbells, you'd probably come across more people that would would report that barbell pressing is uncomfortable for their for their shoulders, perhaps because they're in a fixed position in terms of wrist wrist positioning. But um, I think both both are highly, highly effective. And I think both can be can be run and, and you can get substantial gains from both. So I guess it's almost a matter of why do you need to pick one or the other, you could include, you know, both essentially within your programming. Mm. 100% and I'd be the same. Like, I've, I would be the opposite, though, in regards to what have I run the most. I remember through both of my preps, I ran barbell bench press on both days and that would probably be a very large attribute to most of my chest gains. But at the exact same time, like I also used dumbbell, like there's no reason I can't use both. Um, But personally, if I had to pick one, you know, the black or white situation here, I'd probably go dumbbell. I think the, the, we're not really saying why though. So I might help uh, chime in and and say why most people, some people might pick dumbbell. I think basically like you, you get a, you can get more range of motion, uh, get a better length and position in the dumbbell than the barbell. Cause obviously the limiting factor for the barbell is it hitting your chest and uh, with the dumbbell, you can get, get, a, get more range of motion. I think that's a large contributor to why the dumbbell is, is better. And I would, I would say dumbbell is better than barbell. I would almost say well, what happens if you have a canvas bar, bar on the bench press. Now, what are you picking? Well, then that's, that's not the question though. It says dumbbell or barbell. Not dumbbell or counted bar. Mm. A good know. call. Thanks for your input, Mike Israel. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that bloke loves a cambered bar. 
He really does. Yeah, but that being still said, like, you one. still get a decent damn stretch with a barbell bench press. Like, I don't think there's been many times where I'm like, you know what? Like, I could really do with another full one and a half inches of range of motion. Well, in, in my N equals one experience, like, my chest is, as soon as I started, <laughs> I sound like some sort of, uh, I don't know, acolyte here, but... Like uh, when I sort of increased my range of motion for pressing movements, like I, I did notice a, a big difference in my chest, mm. but, and that kind of potentially plays into like the length and partials sort of this uh, dumbbell zealot over here. Yeah. 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 Look at him. Dude, I, I literally just running watched, a dumbbell what, press at the what, moment. When, like, when did you swap the dumbbell out for the, when you swap the bench press out for the dumbbell, when did you do that? When AJ I, took over, it, it wasn't really that switch per se. It was more so just uh, like being having a hard reset and being like, okay, I'm going to prioritize quite a lot of range of motion now for for pressing. Because like before, I might just like tap the dumbbell on my chest and then go go back up. Now I would sort of angle it either side so I can get an even bigger stretch. For those watching the video, which doesn't exist, I was performing a movement there. Mm. Can you yeah. get me another eight reps of that? <laughs> and I want you oh, laying down. Yeah. <laughs> Squeeze the bench. Squeeze it, Jack. Mm. Yeah. I think I actually I haven't dumbbell pressed in, in quite a while, actually. Because I was doing it in prep for a little bit and then the free weight pressing just becomes a debacle, in my opinion. Like it does for me anyway. But I'm keen to get back to it. It's just that, you know, like you just you run a, a certain press and it's feeling so good and you just don't know which one you want to drop out. But I don't know if you guys have found this, but like the hammer strength flat machine press. <laughs> I knew you were going to say this. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about the line one. That one's I tremendous. Literally... I'm talking about the seated flat uh, yeah. one. Not oh, the, right. line. the seated flat one is so heavy. Like, mm. I feel the like... loaded people... one? No, no, it's a plate loaded one. Oh, yeah, I know. Tell Jordan Peters about, yeah. that as he's slinging six plates on it for <laughs> five to six reps. Yeah. But also the pin loaded hammer strength one is also very heavy as well. And underrated, in my opinion. Oh, I think it's overrated. Oh, wow. Okay. I, actually, I did see, uh, they got a Nautilus Incline pin-loaded press at Riggs now. Yeah, yeah, it just came in. Have you tried it? Mm. No, I haven't. No. The cable doesn't work, though, Lawrence. Like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're allowed tripods, though. Yeah. But, oh, and a quick update. They're just, they're just doing a tremendous job of policing it. Just saw someone using a tripod today. Member of staff actually working with them. So... Um, well, I, I thought it was a tripod, but then I like I rubbed my eyes and I thought, well, it, it can't be a tripod because tripods are banned. So I, I just I put it down to the um, hallucinogenics in my pre workout and just got mm. on with my day. Mm. So yeah. I'm not salty. Purchase a, he did purchase a media pass, so it's allowed. Just sold yeah. his uh, left testicle for it. Mm. Yeah, five hundred an hour. Did not need it, but yeah, I'm going dumbbells. Yeah. So final question, how important are squat shoes when performing lower body pressing movements? Anyone want to take this one? Essential. I love them. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you need to have the open toe squat used by uh squat shoes by squat you. Yeah, so we get more wide. like surface area and yeah, it's just tremendous. Um, but in all seriousness, not really at all but that being said i do use squat shoes i purchased them for fucking 300 dollars. Oh, you best believe going on, yeah. you best believe i'm going to be using my squat shoes um i don't know i like them because they're just hard on the bottom um but that being said it was Rush weird now. when i f yeah yeah but like you know you could argue the exact same like lawrence is fucking deadlifting in bare feet like you know <laughs> absolute grub over here so this man took off his fucking socks today 
nearly caught him in a headlock and pulled over Trav. It was ridiculous. They're not allowed tripods, but they'll allow Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, barefoot. But like when he was about to do them, he actually pulled out nail clippers as well because they were uneven. So he didn't want to fuck with the aerodynamics of his deadlift. So he's <laughs> clipping his nails on the fucking yeah. It was while well, he's sitting on the weight stack, which is also illegal over there as well. <laughs> recording recording himself while he's got chalk on his hands. Yeah, on the grass. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. With a yeah. weight. Yeah. In fairness, Jack, I don't allow is probably a strong word. No one really saw me do it. Um, but mate, what do you like the dogs need to breathe? I need a bit of contact. You know what I, I mean? almost pulled out my figure eight wrist straps and made a citizen's arrest. Yeah. It was it was <laughs> I was, I was about to just head first this man on the grass over there. Hey! Do you at least shave the toes or are they hairy? No, they're hairy. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got a little bit of that orange hue on like the larger the toenail. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's never coming off. It just has to grow out. And yeah, a couple of them are still still not quite grown out. I've got a, I've got a toenail. I think it's my right one, the small one. I kicked it like no joke, probably nine years ago, and it split in half. And I, I is still not back to normal. Mm. So I, I don't know what the go is there. It's over next week's special on today's episode. Yeah, next yeah. week's special guest. We'll get a toenail specialist on here. It's about yeah. time we cleared up these issues. Orthopedic toe specialists for sure. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but on squat shoes, I think they are very good. I like any sort of squat pattern. I'm using them. Most leg presses, I'll use them as well. The only leg press I probably wouldn't use it on is like a squat press because I just feel like the natural angle of the machine, you don't really need a squat shoe because it's very easy to get the adequate range of motion. But I find them I find them very nice. But mm. I will say like if you get like a pair of Nike Metcons, they also have quite a firm sole as well. So if you want something that's a bit more versatile but that you could still squat through then that would be probably quite beneficial now that i think about it jack were you on the cybex hack in your runners no i did my warm-up in the runners and then i yeah realized yeah. that was not a not a good yeah. move i was about to have to use my other figure eight wrist wrap to citizens arrest <laughs> jack as well next time i see him at powerhouse mm-hmm. yeah just get the gym pin belt just straight around the hands mate <laughs> that just lock them in mm. yeah i didn't i i actually like the cybex quite a lot it's um I've been running the Citadel strength hack squat, which has been good, but I would almost say the Citadel strength, um, the, uh, the, the force curve on, on it is actually harsher than the Cybex, but that could, it, that could have just been because it was my first time on the Cybex. So I, I chose a slightly more conservative load, but yeah, I'm keen to see how it goes. Yeah. The goal is to get down there again this Sunday and, and, um, yeah, try and beat last week's performance. Mm. No, I was, yeah, all jokes aside, I thought, yeah, having not run it for absolute years, yeah, you performed very well in it. Because it is a piece that, like, you do need to spend months on it, in my opinion, to really hit your stride. Like, I've been running it since I came out of prep. And I would say the last two weeks, I've, like, really hit my groove with it, where it's feeling very natural, and I'm comfortable with my foot placement and, like, hip rotation and that sort of thing. It just takes ages to get comfortable with. And yeah. then, you know, big Matty service tool just absolutely cooking me on it, which yeah. is perfect. Yeah, shout out to Matt. He's, yeah, strong on, on that piece. I mean, no reverse banding going on here. We're just, um, yeah. Straight raw dog in it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. DC, do you wear squat shoes? Um, I do, yes. I do for, for some of my squat patterns. 
So I'll usually wear them for like a pendulum um, or like a bell squat or, or if I hack, if I run that. But um, I think the proposed benefits from essentially running a squat shoe is it just increases that that floor to knee or platform to knee in terms of like your levers. So it allows for obviously that more knee over toe. And I think for some individuals that perhaps maybe have very long femur, femurs, um, they might benefit from essentially having that slight extension of 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 knee to you know knee to ankle or knee to knee to floor. So um might help with yeah, more knee over toe and, and more quad quad bias uh, within that. But I have to agree with you, Lawrence. There's some things where I don't think there's benefit from running it. Like I don't, I don't, I don't wear a squat shoe on a um, on a squat press. I find that it actually reduces how much actual like hip recruitment I can get and how much my glutes can actually contribute. It actually just feels purely like a like almost like a leg extension um, in it. It just doesn't feel natural as, as a squat pattern. So yeah, certain things I will, but certain things I I won't. Hmm. I actually bought squat shoes a few months ago and I returned them like a week later because I, I hated them. So what did you get? I got, they were Adidas. can't remember the name specifically, but uh, sounds like that's a no-go. You're on the yeah. under $100 specials, <laughs> weren't you, mate? Yeah. I mean, Rebel was having a sale, so I had to, mm. had to make the most of it. Well, you look the same go. as me, right, Lawrence? The Nikes? Yeah, I've got the Romaleos, but that, I think they're the twos. Like, they're old. But that's the other thing with Squat Shoe. Like, yes, they're quite expensive, but you're literally only probably going to need one pair. It's a shoe that you maybe use twice a Unless week. Unless you're on DH, in which case. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then if, you're, if you've got the wide enough toe box, you should be fine, which obviously <laughs> we're all getting. But yeah, I've got the ROMs, the twos, I believe. Yeah. I think the, what are yours, the threes? I, I think I've got the threes. And they they look pretty much like nearly like brand new. Like, you know, they like don't have any like wear and tear at all. And like, you know, what? But you'll probably worn them for like how many years now? I've probably had them for about three, four years. And then they Yeah, so what's they, that like probably thirty leg days in there for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Oh, and only, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> oh, let me calculate it. Uh twenty three and a half. Yeah. I do wear them for arms though, so just a little <laughs> bit more stability. Like what DC was saying, a little bit of um heel to knee. You should try the seatbelt on arm day, it actually works quite well yeah perfect Especially with the loads that you're lifting yeah yeah that's true kind of it's get hard to, to counterbalance the 100 kilo barbells um so i'm gonna need to get a seat belt and a wheelchair cool well that pretty much wraps up this episode uh, remember that if you do want to write us a review we'll happily read it out i think five stars is the only option there though and uh, we'll catch everyone next week in the next episode 